0: Good evening, everyone. This is Andreas Gomal. I'm a surgeon at the Hospital for Special Surgery in New York, and I have been asked to uh, talk today
1: about advancing the management of knee osteoarthritis, a focus on clinical trial developments. The program information is as follows. This
0: program is approved for one CME or CNE credit. Um, the credits will be provided by the North American Center for Continuing Medical Education, an HMP company, and this is supported by an educational grant from Organogenesis. The learning objectives are to review the science of placental derived tissue as a source of anti-inflammatory and immune modulating factors, to investigate the latest clinical trial data comparing amniotic suspension allograft to saline and hyaluronic acid in knee osteoarthritis and to examine evidence-based medicine and the hierarchy of
1: evidence. So let's dive right in. Um, I'm sure you've all heard a lot about
0: um, placental-derived products and the uh, whole push to regenerative medicine is uh, quite popular both in, um, in the press, the lay press, as well increasing research and in clinical studies. Um, it's a very confusing field. We have a lot of different possible uh, products for injection and uh, besides the uh, somewhat longer established injections such as PRP or BMAC, there are now multiple placental-derived products. I think what's important to uh, state from the beginning is that I cannot speak to all placental-derived products but only to one specific one. That's the only one that I have uh, investigated and I've been part of a randomized controlled trial utilizing this product and I've also been a consultant to the company, uh, which is important to note. In terms of um, how different are these products, you can think back when the early outcomes of PRP were quite confusing. It didn't really show anything consistent. And then over the years we realized that PRP is not equal to PRMP. And uh, now there's a pretty good understanding that For PRP, for joint applications, intra-articular injection, for example, for inflammatory arthritis and and osteoarthritis, uh, we would use leukocyte-reduced PRP, while if we go more for soft tissue applications, tendinopathy, for example, we would go to leukocyte-rich PRP. And these placental products are a little bit similar and because we tend to lump them together, oh, this is an amniotic uh, injection, but they're quite different. Um, they're different in terms of what actually goes into the product, so the contents, and then how the contents, the original tissue, are processed and preserved. And that determines really what ends up in the um, in the final product. Going back to what are the contents of the product? Well, there are differences in terms of the structures that are being used. They're all birth tissues, but it could be the amnion or chorion, could be the epithelial or spongy layer, um, could be the amniotic fluid and any cells that are contained within the amniotic fluid. Um, Could be the umbilical cord, and you've heard about Morton's jelly as well that contains
1: a lot of cells and then any combination of the above. Then what happens to those products once they're
0: harvested, um, they need to be aseptically processed. Um, Some are terminal sterilized, which of course kills any cells and has the chance to uh, alter proteins. Some are stored fresh, cold, some are lyophilized, some are dehydrated or cryopreserved and given that this starts as a biologic product with all the variability that we see in the human body uh, the processing certainly has the potential to either minimize or maximize biologic variability so it can really make a big difference in the final product and um, all the above factors affect cell viability if there are any cells in the uh, product at all the integrity of the extracellular matrix,
1: and then any growth factors or cytokines uh, contained within the product. So I will speak specifically about this one product that uh, we have investigated, um,
0: called Renew, and this contains cells from the amniotic fluid, um, but more importantly, it contains amniotic membrane, uh, which has
1: been Um, cryopreserved and uh, is uh, particulated. So what is this? Um,
0: I mentioned that it's cryopreserved, and it's termed amniotic suspension allograft because it's really not a structural allograft, but as mentioned, it's a particulated membrane part, uh, a powder essentially, that is mixed with um, amniotic fluid cells from the same donor. Um, Initially, we all had thought that these stem cell products contain live stem cells and that's how they function, that we need live stem cells that then would transform into whatever tissue we're trying to regenerate. With increased understanding, uh, and Arnie Kaplan has helped us a lot, um, we began to realize that it's not really the cells that turn into other cells that then make tissue, but that if anything, the cells secrete factors. So um, rather than transforming into cells, they're just little factories, medicinal factories, hence the uh, suggested name change from mesenchymal stem cell to medicinal signaling cells, which quite elegantly keeps the same acronym. Um, But increasingly we've realized that in many of these injections, including RENEW, the very few cells and that it's not really the cells that um, lead to the effects that we see, but that it's more the uh, anti-inflammatory factors contained within. And amniotic membrane is very rich in anti-inflammatory cytokines and regenerative growth factors um, such as protease inhibitors, um, so very important to uh, antagonize any catabolic uh, events in the joint and these are the tissue inhibitors of metalloprotein, uh, TIMP1, 2, and 3. There's modulation of inflammation, and a lot has been published about IRAP, uh, which is an interleukin-1 receptor antagonist that decreases inflammation, um, but there's also IL-6.
1: There are anabolic factors such as TGF, IGF, BMPs, and HGF. The first step um, in looking into
0: any of these products should really be a good preclinical model, um, both to show that it's safe, but also to try and come up with a mechanism of action. And um, this was tested out in a uh, rat model with injection of monosodium iodoacetate into a joint. Uh, What this does is it creates uh, significant inflammation and degeneration. So it essentially induces disease and pain. Um, at day seven, the animals were then injected with either saline, the um, amniotic uh, suspension, allograft, or as a very strong positive control steroid, triamcinolone. And then at day 21, the rats were evaluated um, Their body weight was measured. They had incapacitance testing, uh, which essentially looks at the differences in weight-bearing between each hind limb and only one was treated. The other one was left as a control. Uh, They do a fun ray analysis, which is essentially uh, similar to uh, uh, pressure sensitivity, what we do in clinical practice if there's joint line sensitivity with different uh, monofilaments. With a gait analysis and then a knee caliper testing just to look at joints swelling and then as uh, finally at day 21 the rats are sacrificed serum is collected um, for circulating factors synovial so fluid is collected and the joints are uh, collected for histology if you look at uh, the different charts on the left are the weight-bearing differences and uh, you can see how uh, two different levels of ASA reduce this. Again, triamcinolone is probably the strongest comparator that we have. And overall, I do use steroid in my practice um, quite a lot. Uh, it's great, it just doesn't last very long. So um, uh, you can see here that uh, the ASA is between saline and the Um for the weight-bearing, the same as for the uh, caliper measurements, so the joint swelling, as well as the joint sensitivity um, with the fon Frey threshold. So, in summary, injecting ASA resulted in improvements in uh, pain, weight-bearing, and swelling of the injected knee in comparison to the negative control of saline. If you look at the synovial fluid and serum cytokine measurements, uh, there are trends for improvement. So certainly IL-6 decreased um, with the ASA as well as the steroid injection. Um, IL-10 is an anti-inflammatory cytokine, so it's so a positive cytokine, one we like to see. That was. Uh, Uh, much increased with ASA injection, interesting enough, more so with the lower dose than the higher dose. And importantly, there were no negative systemic effects that we're seeing. So subsequent to the preclinical model, uh, came a small uh, first in-man pilot study that was done back in 2015. Um, This was designed mainly for safety, not for efficacy. As you can see, uh, I was one of the co-investigators together um, with my friend and uh, long-term research partner, Jack Farr, as well as uh, Tony Alaprentis, who's a rheumatologist from the Brigham, who did all the uh, serum analyses. This was a a small study uh, just in six patients. Again, this was powered uh, not for clinical significance. This was really focused on the safety. Um, these were older patients with quite significant knee arthritis with a KL score of 3. Uh, you can see a lot of information on this slide. Um, we did look at their PROs, and they trended towards the better, but you know, this is not something I would hang my hat on. These are only six patients but at least it was somewhat uh, positive to see that these patients did respond
1: clinically and actually uh, felt better. Um, the uh, main again was for the safety testing. So, we did blood tests
0: on all of them. Um, we looked for uh, general measurements, measurements, such as blood cell counts, uh, we looked at lymphocyte counts, inflammatory markers, but more importantly, we looked at serum IgG and IgE levels and there were no clinically concerning changes in those, which really um, made us more comfortable to uh, go ahead to design a much larger clinical trial to uh, now also study the clinical efficacy uh, since the safety was uh, uh, shown in the previous small pilot trial. So, this led to uh, a larger randomized control trial, which recently was published in the Journal of Knee Surgery. Um, The design was that of a true randomized control trial with three groups. Uh, There were 200 patients that were enrolled in 12 different sites, and they were randomized 111 to either an injection of saline, HA, and uh, uh, ASA. with primary outcome measures being the VAS pain scale at three months and six months, as well as the COOS pain and function subscales, also at three and six months. Of course, we looked at other PROs as well. Um, so we collected the COOS pain and function subscales, as well as the VAS, activity, SANE and EQ5D, uh, along the study course, uh, one week, six weeks, three months, and this was extended out to 12 months, and those results are pending publication. Um, So, I don't want to speak too much about those. We also did radiographic measurements at the beginning and at the uh, conclusion at 12 months. Um, This was not to show uh, any uh, change in natural history or disease modification, which would be wonderful, and I think that's the holy grail we're all looking for. But uh, for that, prior attempts have shown uh, we would require uh, hundreds and hundreds of patients uh, given that osteoarthritis is a very slow disease, so you would only expect very small differences in a comparatively short time frame of 12 months. And uh, there's enough variability just in positioning of uh, the knee getting X-rays that there's a lot of noise, so it's hard to show significance. Uh, just quickly, the different study sites um, mostly were clustered east and um, in the Midwest, uh, with uh, one in New Mexico and one in California, as the uh, sort of western outliers. The uh, timeline, as mentioned, 200 subjects uh, enrolled and randomized. Uh, everyone had a baseline, uh, PRO, as well as an X-ray and blood draws. Then we had a one week, six weeks, three months, six months and a final follow-up at 12 months. Uh, we also had a subset of sites that drew extra blood um, for biomarkers in addition to a CBC, a BMP, CRP, immunoglobulin levels, and an anti-HLA response. So, um, um, this was a, a clinical trial that was uh, conducted under a good clinical practice guidelines and it was designed to be acceptable to the FDA um, for potential approval, given that, as you might've heard, the uh, FDA uh, two years ago changed the guidelines for all of these allografts and regenerative medicine products that previously were able to go onto the market without having to show any trial data in terms of efficacy and safety. And now towards the end of this year, beginning of next year, Uh, the FDA will require uh, data before they allow any
1: of these products to go onto or remain on the market, uh, just like they do for other medicinal products. Um, What was interesting uh, is that we had a
0: a rescue time point at three months, and uh, if patients at three months answered that they had unacceptable pain and the treatment to which they were blinded had not provided adequate pain relief, then they were offered a rescue injection with Renew. Since we didn't want to look at repeat dosing, the rescue injection was only offered to those patients who did not have the amniotic injection at baseline, so only the HA or the saline groups. If a patient from the ASA group reported unacceptable pain,
1: um, they were considered a treatment failure and they left the trial. If the uh, other two groups
0: uh, had a repeat injection that essentially reset the clock and they restarted at their baseline and then concluded another 12 month follow-up similar to what uh, the original plan had been. Uh, Again, a lot of data, I won't read all of this, but this is just the uh, demographical uh, baseline data. There were essentially no statistical differences between the three groups uh, in terms of age, sex, height, weight, and BMI. Um, You can see these are the baseline reported outcome scores for the VAS, for the coost pain, and activities of daily living, all substantially the same. This tracks the results over six months. As mentioned, we uh, just concluded um, writing up the paper for the 12-month data, and therefore, I don't want to um, speak too much to these outcomes. But as you can see, the uh, ASA injection in red really separates out from HA in orange and saline in blue. Um, Somewhat surprising. Uh, HA did not separate from saline, but this is something that has been reported in other trials as well. And going back to looking at this specific HA, it actually was approved um, by the FDA on the basis of a non-inferiority trial. So it only had to prove that it's not worse than a control injection, um, which at least I learned a lot um, looking at this and uh, I did change my clinical practice in terms of HA injections. But again, so uh, at face value, it's somewhat surprising, but doing the research, you will see that uh, HA is unfortunately not that much better than saline, uh, which explains some of the controversy that we've heard over the last two or three years uh, for HA, which in many states, is uh, not covered anymore
1: by some of the uh, insurance companies for this specific reason if you look at the cruise symptoms sports
0: and recreation and quality of life all tell the same story Um, i wish i uh, could tell you that any kind of injection is remarkably better than saline injection but it's true for anything um that anyone has looked at in terms of injections for knee um saline actually has a surprisingly good response rate and uh you can be happy if you beat that at least but uh what was more important really is if you look at the VAS results and as a patient i think the pain score is probably among the most important things here it separates out much more um where you can see a substantial drop from the baseline for ASA and then HA initially dropped, but then as uh, we've seen in countless clinical studies towards the three and six months mark, it tends to um, migrate back to the baseline. And uh, we see that specifically for pain during strenuous work as well. Uh, What's nice is the uh, ASA injection actually kept improving even out to the six months mark, um, certainly a more long-lasting effect than uh, I've ever seen with steroid injections, for example. So uh, more importantly than any statistics, because unfortunately, uh, you can provide statistical significance if you just have a large enough trial. But that statistical significance might not be clinically relevant. So here's the definition of MID, minimally important difference. That's pretty much um, how much better do patients have to be on their PROs before the patient would say, you know, I really feel better. Um, And that's what really matters more than minute little differences in uh, the PRO scales. Uh, So the uh, MID for the CUS has been set somewhere between 8 and 10 points, depends a little bit on what the pathology is that you're investigating. But uh, the pain average uh, was improved by 14.3 and the CUS ADLs by 13.8, both well above the MID. And for the VAS, which is generally accepted um, to be somewhere between 8 and 13, we uh, also see a substantial increase uh, of 31 on a 150 millimeter scale. So, uh, importantly, not only statistically significant,
1: but also clinically significant and relevant to patients. This is uh, an interesting result
0: from our uh, rescue arm at three months. So, if you look at the uh, the top row. These were withdrawals before the three months visit. These were dropouts for reasons unrelated to pain generally. And that's statistically not different between the three groups. These are patients who said, No, I don't want to come in anymore, or they just lost to follow up. But if you look at the um the second row, that's at three months reported unacceptable pain and uh, were therefore eligible either for dropout if they had a previous ASA injection, or rescue injection if they previously had HA or saline. And we had worried right after we started the trial that we might have um, shot ourselves in the foot by allowing patients a rescue at three months. Because, and we probably overthought this, but we thought patients are clearly not stupid. They are coming and entering a trial, which is inconvenient for them, rather than just doing whatever's offered to them uh, following clinical practice guidelines. They enter into a trial because they want to have the cool thing that we are studying in the trial. They enrolled not to get a saline injection or an HA injection. They enrolled to get an ASA injection. And they could easily figure out that they had a two out of three chance of not getting what they actually wanted because they knew that they would be randomized into one of three arms. So we worried that patients would game the system, that they would say that they have unacceptable pain relief, um, even if they didn't just to make sure that they get an ASA injection. And if they had done so, you would have expected about equal Um, and dropouts in all three groups, given that patients were blinded, they did not know what injection they had. But as you can see here, the uh, results showed that we were uh, needlessly worried because in the ASA group, only 13.2% of patients answered at three months that they had inadequate pain relief. While if you look at the HA group and saline group here, around 70% of patients answered that it wasn't good enough and they needed something else. So, clearly, um, this was not due to gaming the system. This was a true response their a true experience. And uh, I think that's probably
1: one of the most important takeaway points from this trial is the failure rate at three months. We also looked at, just because we wanted to investigate it a little bit
0: more, what led to patients saying, hey, this is not good enough. So uh, if you look at the sub-analyses and you separate the PRO changes from baseline in those subjects that reported or did not report unacceptable pain, um, it, it just confirms their are more binary choice of yes or no based on their PROs. So those patients reporting um, uh, acceptable pain relief, so the positive ones demonstrated pretty high reductions in pain at 17 points, symptoms, essentially 10, ADL, sports and recreation, quality of life, and most importantly, a decrease of almost 39 points in their overall VAS. If you compare to that, the second row of those that did report unacceptable pain. Um, They didn't really change much from baseline. Uh, Overall pain went down by 0.83, so essentially nothing. And uh, there were significant differences between uh, all of these at the three months mark. So not only did patients' binary say, hey, this was good or this wasn't good enough, uh, their PROs also reflected that choice.
1: When I discuss treatment options with patients. Um, Patients generally ask me,
0: um, is this safe? So that's something our preclinical and the pilot trial had answered. Um, What is my chance that this will work for me? And I'm getting to that on this slide. And then if it works for me, how much better do I get? And that's what I had just shown you. If you If you're trying to answer the, how likely am I that this will work for me, you can either go based on the three months rescue data, so more than 80% with ASA, you will have acceptable pain relief at three months. Uh, You can also look at this from the viewpoint of our rheumatology colleagues who have the uh, OMERACT and ORC responder criterion. Uh, There are two Um, degrees of response. There's a high improvement where the subject must have a more than 50% decrease in pain or increase in function, as well as an absolute change greater than 20 points. Um, Where there's an improvement if they don't quite get to the high improvement mark and here they have to have two of the following. They uh, either improve pain more than 20% and more than 10 points Um, or do the global assessment more than 20% and absolute change more than 10 points. So two out of those three. Um, For this specific trial, we used the pain VAS, the cruise activities of daily uh, living and the cruise quality of life. So if you look at the responder rate at six months, so we already know more than 80% responded at three months. This is a much stricter criteria than patients just say this helped or didn't help because this is more based on PROs. Um, here we had a 69% uh responder rate with ASA and both HA and SAM hovered around 40. Going back to well, how much better will it get if it works? At three months, the improvement uh in pain was uh about 70% in function, about 50 to 60%,
1: and the global cruise quality of life improved around 40%, both at three and six months. But how does this compare to other things? So Renew, for example, in our trial, we had
0: 69%, and for saline, we had 42%. Uh, There was a study investigating high molecular weight HA. Which demonstrated about a 59% response rate and 51% saline. Uh, there was another one for crosslink HA that showed a 61% HA and 54% saline at uh, 26 and at 13 weeks. So, again, it is fascinating how well people respond to saline. Initially, uh, everyone thought there's is pure placebo effect I give you an injection, it hurts, it's a big deal, so there's better help. it's mind over body, but there are some thoughts now that saline actually might do something in a joint, but it might not be only placebo, there might be a true physiological
1: effect, um, but that's being investigated. But uh, reassuringly, we are better than saline? So in summary,
0: these were 200 patients enrolled at 12 different sites, they were blinded to the allocation to either saline HA or ASA. There were no statistically significant differences at baseline in the demographics. Uh, we looked at the VAS overall pain, the COS pain, and the Coose ADL. Uh, the ASA group showed significant improvements that were not only statistical, but also clinically relevant. Um, over HA at three months, and both HA and saline at six months. Following the stricter ORC criterion, 69% of ASA patients were considered responders with 63% improvement in pain, 62% improvement in function, and a 37%
1: improvement in quality of life at six months. But since we have some more time, I'd also like
0: uh, to use this opportunity to uh, discuss a few of the questions that I frequently get in terms of what um, I do in clinical practice. Because trial data can be confusing, Uh, what's important is more, how do we incorporate this into a clinical practice? How do we change how we treat patients? So um, one question I commonly get is when do you think injection therapy is uh, not appropriate anymore based on structural changes? Would I inject someone who is Kelgan Lawrence grade four, so completely bone on bone? Um, Or would I only inject patients who have still substantial joint space remaining? And I think for this, to answer this question, it really helps to look at the different buckets of therapies that we have available. So for me, there's one bucket and that's steroid injection. Steroid injections have been around forever. Um, That doesn't make them useless. They might not be very sexy anymore, but there certainly is clinical relevance and utility to steroid injection. And at least in the past, then we had another bucket that was pretty empty. There was only one thing in it, and that one thing were HA injections, and they were not as powerful as steroids.
1: Uh, They didn't work for everyone, but they had the potential for lasting longer than steroids. And now
0: we have a third bucket, and that third bucket consists of this regenerative medicine. And in that bucket, we find our PRP injections, our BMAC injections, fat injections, as well as placental products, amniotic injections. So when I see patients, my first question is always, is this mainly a structural problem or is this mainly an inflammatory problem? And then how much inflammation is there? And we answer that, one through the history in terms of how is your pain now compared to your pain a week, a month, six months ago. And if somebody tells me that they have a lot more pain today than they had a week ago because maybe there was an event, maybe they overdid it, that puts them into the activated arthritis um, category. Oftentimes on physical examination, these are patients who present with significant swelling, sometimes tenderness to palpation, they have effusions. Um, They might have more limited range of motion due to the effusion than what they usually have. Uh, So this is a flare-up. This is definitely something that is elevated above their baseline. For that, we still go back to steroid injection, uh, which I think is the strongest um, weapon, so to speak, we have. I aspirate these patients, I give them a steroid injection, Um, I shut them down for a few weeks until their swelling has resolved. I oftentimes, if they can tolerate it, add anti-inflammatories orally, and I ask them to ice, they should move their joint, but they should not perform any impact activities. They should decrease their walking distance. They um, should go on a bike if they have access just to keep the joint moving, but nothing strenuous until we shut down their flare up Some of these patients come back a year later and they say that steroid injection you gave me was fantastic. It lasted for a year. And of course steroid doesn't last for a year, but it controlled their flare up and they didn't have another flare up for a year. So that's changing someone who has an inflammatory flare into someone who has quote unquote dry arthritis. The x-ray still looks the same. They might still be bone on bone, But since they don't have all the biologic activity, the inflammation in the joint, they don't hurt as much, and they might be quite functional. This is very different from a patient who um, says, more or less, my pain is the same as it was a month ago, the same as it was three months ago. It might be a little bit more than it was six months ago or a year ago. So over time, their baseline has slowly uh, worsened and now they're just at a level where they have decided to come in and seek help. Uh, This, I think, is nothing that we can influence with steroid injections because they are too short-lasting. So sure, if this patient says, it's really uncomfortable, I can do my activities of daily living, but hey, I, I want to go to this ski trip of a lifetime, and I don't think I can do it, and I don't think that... Oral anti inflammatories are enough. That's something where I would consider cortisone injection just for short term pain relief to allow them to do something that's really important to them. But it's not anything I would expect relief much past two, maybe four weeks. And then I would expect them to go back to their baseline. So, this is really where in the past I've used um, HA injections, physical therapy. Uh, Oral anti-inflammatories, yes, but it's not something that I feel very comfortable putting patients on for months and months and months, given that there's a a substantial risk of GI intolerance, um, elevation of um, blood pressure and long-term effects on kidneys and heart. So this was where we've always been a little bit frustrated, this patient population is frequently younger. Um, they're more active They're in the sort of prime of their life. These are patients in their 40s who have mild to moderate joint space narrowing, um, which maybe with less activity, if they were older, they wouldn't notice so much, but they have young kids. They have maybe strenuous physical uh, jobs. They need to do something, and we don't have great answers because cortisone, as as mentioned, doesn't really work for them outside intermittent flare ups. Um, The HA, uh, well, sort of works. I still utilize that in my practice because many insurance companies still do cover it. So it's better than nothing. Um, But I have to say, the outcomes haven't been all that great. So everyone desperately looked for well, what else can we do? And that's why this field of regenerative medicine and orthobiologics has taken off uh, as it has. People are desperate for other solutions. And uh, these are the patients where now I consider injections with PRP um, or amniotic fluid. I get asked if I do use BMAC, if I do use FAT, um, if I see any, a role in clinical practice with these injections and i mean there certainly is data to support the use and i have used both bmac and fat um the reason why i have migrated away from it is because i need to do an invasive procedure to get my graft so yes there's a certain attraction of using autologous tissue and um, I, I think that's certainly valid and needs to be discussed with the patient. However, um, both in terms of patient discomfort and a small but I would say relevant risk of complications, uh, more so with FAD than with BMAC injections. But aspirations from the iliac crest, while not awful, are not the most comfortable thing in the world. And um, a lipo aspiration from the abdomen um certainly also not the most comfortable and then from a provider side it i certainly enjoy giving in an injection um where i just have a product that i inject without having to spend i would say half an hour is uh, is optimistic in obtaining a graft on tying up a an exam room or better a procedure room never felt quite comfortable doing either of these in a regular uh, clinic exam room. And the costs are relevant, um, given that it's a significant strain on other resources, whether you use a a centrifuge, or you need an assistant, you need a sterile field. So um, both on the patient and the provider side, I think there's a little bit of, um, of a negative to using Bmac or Lipo, um,
1: hence my migration to uh, um, other injections. The uh, what are the limits? Is this something where we'd inject someone who has no joint space at all?
0: Um, cortisone, yes, absolutely. I I have no reservations injecting cortisone in someone who has a flare-up, even if they have no joint space remaining. Um, HA, if it's an older patient who is at an appropriate age for arthroplasty, uh, I don't try quite as hard doing HA injections because in my experience, they fail more often than they work in this particular subgroup of bone-on-bone arthritis. But I've had um, more success this is gut feeling anecdotal evidence. there's no trial comparing it in this particular patient population, but I feel that I've had a little bit more success in getting a response utilizing p r p or amniotic fluid versus h a which I used to use for the past fifteen years um, but certainly, patients who have more preserved joint space tend to respond better
1: to uh any of these injections for sure. How do I decide um, between
0: HA, PRP, and amniotic injections? Well, part of that is uh, the the reality of finances. HA injection, many insurances cover. The ones that don't cover, um, there are some companies that have plans where they um, substantially reduce the cost for patients who don't have insurance benefits and uh, you can get these for a cost of around 500 dollars maybe a little bit less maybe a little bit more depending on where you are and if you order in bulk while prp and amniotic is significantly more expensive how expensive um it really depends on where you live In New York City, PRMP injections can be anywhere between 1,000 and 3,000. I've seen Bmac from five to 15,000. Amniotic tends to be somewhere between three and six and uh, lipo injections are a little bit more than that. Um, So I have a discussion with patients and say, look, if money doesn't matter at all to you, all of these things are just a rounding error, um, which is very desirable and a little jealous, Um, then I would do amniotic because I have good evidence that this helps. And um, if money is a concern, which is probably true for the vast majority of all of our patients, then I would start with HA, see if this helps. And if it does,
1: that's good. If it doesn't help, then I would migrate up to either PRP or amniotic. Um, Another common question is, how do I
0: treat patients after injections? So I generally tell patients not to do any strenuous exercise. They can go on an exercise bike, but this is not riding the Tour de France. This is truly just for getting their joints moving. Uh, there's not much resistance. It's certainly not anything where I would want them to sweat or get their heart rate up. We, um, uh, I don't limit activities of daily living. Um, stairs are fine. Walking is fine. I asked them not to try and intentionally put steps on their phone. Um, certainly not anything where they should complete their 10,000 or 15,000 step marker for the day. Um, but they can move around. I Don't put patients, on crutches. Um, I don't uh, ask them to significantly curtail their activities of daily living, um, as I've heard from some other colleagues in New York. Um, I do ask them to not use anti-inflammatories for the first week. There are some preclinical research studies that have shown that taking anti-inflammatories can decrease some of the beneficial um, effects of these injections. If somebody has a headache or cramps, it is perfectly fine to take an Advil or an Aleph. I just don't want them to go on heavy duty anti-inflammatories two or three times a day, every day for a week. I think that besides not being good overall, that it's certainly a potential issue for these injections. Um, But they can use ice, they, can but don't
1: have to use a compression sleeve, Uh, and they certainly can use Tylenol freely. One other very common question
0: um, I get from colleagues that are interested in this product, uh, but also from patients, is whether this is uh, FDA approved. And I've mentioned this previously in. in the body of the talk, that it, until two years ago, the FDA really did not
1: approve
0: uh, allogeneic tissue products. Um, so, the same way, if we use an allograft tendon for an ACL reconstruction, or we use allograft bone uh, to treat bony defects, these are not FDA approved. They never went through clinical trials showing that they work. Um, The FDA certainly has had requirements in terms of how do you harvest, how do you prepare the packaging, the storing, Um, but they didn't require the companies to do any specific efficacy testing as they do for medicinal products. But as mentioned, this is about to change. Uh, Within the next year, these FDA guidelines will now also apply to allergenic tissue. And companies have um, known about this for the past 24 months. The FDA had set them timelines and has said if by the end of this year, you are not uh, able to provide data or at least far along into a trial that will produce usable data uh, to show us whether what you are making is safe and helpful, uh, you will not be able to keep selling your product and the FDA has already sent warning letters to several companies, um, not so much in the musculoskeletal realm. Um, They have focused more on high-risk applications. Uh, There were terrible complications with injections of uh, fat into eyes for retinal uh, detachment or macular degeneration. There were intrathecal applications Um, that resulted in complications. So the FDA has focused more on these high-risk applications, uh, not so much injection into the joint, but you will see a lot changing within the next year. And currently, my answer is this FDA approved or not, is what I just gave you. The FDA oversees and provides guidelines about manufacturing for these products to make sure they are safe. as of next year, certainly 22, um, we will be able to say yes, this is FDA approved and
1: no other products will be able to remain on the market. So uh, overall at this point, I would like to thank you um,
0: and you will now be redirected to the landing page to complete your post test
1: and evaluation and then you will be able to download or print your certificate.